Amen. Thank you so much, Patrick. How y'all doing today? Good? Good. Well, uh, I don't know if they've said anything since I haven't been here. I've been preaching at the other campus this morning, but uh, my name is Dwayne Mercer. I'm the senior pastor of Cross Life. And uh, for uh, about, I don't know, three, four years, I came out here probably three, four, maybe, well, three Sundays at least uh, or so uh, out of the month and uh, preached and this traveling. So I left the church uh, just a few moments ago, the other church, and came here, and I'll go back, and the music will be finished there, as, and I'll just step up and preach. So you can imagine that's not only difficult, but I discovered after coming up here a few times after Doug came that he had it not only under control, but I was kind of interrupting his preaching, you know, when I came here. And so uh, I, I was kind of laying back off that. But this is the last uh, week that I it's planned, anyway, to travel uh, this way. When I come back with you again, what I'd really like to do is to come back and uh, spend the morning with you. And so we'll be doing that two or three times maybe in a year and maybe kind of get together. Maybe we can, uh, every once in a while, maybe feed people. You know, be a good idea. I, I like lunch, you know. And so it'd be good. But we continue, in spite of the fact that I'm not coming here, we continue to be one church, two locations. And uh, we appreciate y'all so much. We pray for you. Um, you know, Doug and I meet probably every week at one point or another, and uh, discuss the messages, but also the what's going on out here at the church. And so we love y'all and appreciate you. And uh, this morning, I've got a passage that is less glamorous than than most. And so, uh, you know, the I guess the, you know, God just sort of led it where I would preach this today. Because if we follow this message uh, to the letter of what Jesus wants us to do, it's going to improve our church relationships and really our Christian relationships exponentially. Okay, really kind of the key to the unity of the body of Christ. So when you think about Matthew 18, you often think about these few verses, uh, 15 through 17. Now, to give you a little background of uh, how I sometimes present the gospel, I believe that if you look at three circles, and I think uh, a guy down in South Florida, a good friend of mine, came up with this originally, but you look at three circles, all right? God's design, brokenness, the cross, and you got arrows going all the way around it. Ah, there it is right there. God's design, God's original design is for us to have fellowship with him. God's original design is for us to be perfect, and none of us are. Well, we were not perfect. Romans tells us that through one man, sin entered into the world, and that was Adam. And after that, all of us sinned, and we became broken. We had broken homes, broken lives, broken relationships of all kinds. And so Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, and therefore, now that we receive Jesus, the arrow now goes up back up to God's design. That's the journey that we're on right now. We're not there. We're, we're not perfect. We're not with God all the time or, or in heaven. And so this is the journey called sanctification, making us more holy, more like Jesus Christ. And therefore, because of that, temptation is inevitable. And because of that, even though God gives us a way to resist that temptation, we sometimes go through brokenness in our own life still. We still sin. And I'm not trying to excuse it. That's not what this sermon's about. I'm just saying, what, we ask the question, what happens when we do? What happens when we sin against one another? What happens when we do something that causes us to go astray and no longer really following the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there's a couple of things that we can do as, as members of a church. We can simply say, well, you know, oh, well, that's too bad. And maybe talk about them a little bit. Maybe use them as sermon, sermon illustrations or Sunday school illustrations or 
we can talk about it and speculate. Man, when we're having that, I bet you this, I bet you this. And all of a sudden, the gossip begins to grow. We can do nothing, which is often the case. We, we often just kind of do, man, it's just too bad. I, I just don't know what, let's pray for them. Or we can do what Jesus asked us to do. Now, this passage in Matthew 18 is, is really about compassion. We'll finish up this series of, of, of messages uh, next week, I think, right? With Matthew 18 on forgiveness. And Brother Doug's going to bring that message to you on forgiving one another. Now, the passage before this talks about going after the one. And I'm talking about now speaking on the passage that's in between. But let's set it up in verse 12. It says, and what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 and go after them, go into the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? This is about compassion for the one. Now, when we talk about uh, our theology and biblical stuff and evangelism, we, we think this one originally was a lost person who does not know the Lord. Now, we can apply it to that, and we should, because all this is about is having a whole passage about compassion for the individual. But this passage is really zeroing in on the fact that sometimes a brother, go, one of the, God's sheep, one of the hundred, goes astray. You bring them back. How do you bring them back? Verse 15 begins to talk about it. He says this, And if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be known to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, I just read that passage, and it sounds pretty tough because it's about confrontation, and that's something nobody really wants to do. I mean, when do you do that? Is that everything? Is that every sin that comes along? Is that every time I get a little offended, all of a sudden I'll bring somebody to the church? What does all that mean? Well, I want us to look at this passage in three points. The process, the purpose, and the profit of restoration. Because that is what this passage is all about. Restoring the brother back to a faith or restoring your brother back to you in a relationship. And so we look at the process. First of all, I want us to look at verse 15. And really, these, these four steps are really right here in the Bible. I mean, it's not a lot to me to expound on, perhaps. But it says this, if your brother. So you consider your brother. This is your brother. This is not just someone out there. It, it, it assumes here that this person has received Jesus into their heart. Not only that, but it assumes fellowship. It assumes that you're, you're heart to heart with someone that you can go to someone. Uh, Gene Gatz first said that there are three types of fellowship in the church. There's hand to hand, rather face to face. That's just when you, you meet someone, you see somebody. Hand to hand, that's when you're kind of you know, shaking hands, you're friends. And then there's heart to heart. And so it really assumes here a heart-to-heart or a near heart-to-heart relationship with someone that you can go to and talk to about their fault. Consider that this is your brother, not anyone else. Notice how we ought to approach this brother. Verse, all the way to verse 27. We'll talk about this more next week. But he says, out of pity for him. Now, this word pity means compassion, but it's a special Greek construction, which means to empathize with somebody, to put yourself in someone else's place. And so this person has gone astray, or this person has offended you, and you are genuinely offended. You put yourself in their place. So it's 
out of compassion. And remember, it's concentrating on the one that has gone astray. Galatians 6.1 is a verse that's closely related to this when the Apostle Paul said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. A spirit of gentleness. You see, there's a, there's a discerning element here. For example, if you go to someone in sin, you're probably going to be gentle with them. But if you go to someone that has offended you, maybe you feel like you've got to get something off your chest. You ever felt that way? You got to vent a little bit? All right, got to vent? Well, you de- it depends. What is your relationship with that person and how spiritual mature are they in the Lord to take the venting? And so you've got to do this with a gentleness, but still somehow get it off your chest as well. So it's a, the goal is restoration, the goal of relationships and the walk, their walk with God. Secondly, you not only consider your brother, but then you clarify the situation. Look what it says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What does that mean? It means don't tell anybody else. It means be private about it. Now, I said just a few moments ago that one of the things we can do is tell somebody else. And if you, now, for example, if I go to Brother Doug and I said, Brother Doug, uh, I've got a bone to pick with you here. Can I say that, bone to pick with you? All right. Do you understand that from Missouri? You, you get it? All right. I got a bone to pick with you. And I start talking. You say, well, well, Pastor, how many people have you told? This? Oh, I only told five or six people. Now, you're not going to feel too good about that, right? So when you go privately to somebody, you say, hey, I've not told anyone else about this. Wow, how comforting is that? You know what that tells me about you? You're concerned about me and my relationship with you not trying to get back at me through telling somebody else. You go to them privately. It's a private thing. And, you know, I've had people to tell. I I remember back in college, this guy came up to me and said, you know, he's talking about this guy down the hall and, I said, you know, you really need to work this out with him. Rather than say anything else, let's just go down the hall. I happen to know he's in his room. Let's go down the hall and talk to him. He looked at me and said, I can't believe you'd do that. I said, what do you mean? He said, I thought I could trust you with my feelings. I'll never talk to you about this again. What he was saying is, I thought I could trust you with my gossip. And by golly, I'm never going to gossip to you again. That's what he was saying. All right? And so we consider our brother with a spirit of gentleness and clarify the situations. Here's what happens in the church so often. We tell somebody and say, hey, now you can't tell anybody. You can't tell I said this about uh, Don. And you go to Doug and, or go to Don and say, you can't tell uh, anybody I said this about Jason. And pretty soon you think, well, I've got to have all these confidences and, and, and this person or several people are talking here and here and here and here and here and nobody knows what's happening. Listen, you have a family of secrets. You have a secret family. Imagine that happening in your home. If you had mom telling this, dad telling this, and nobody talking to one another, just all these little secrets going on, you're going to have division in your family. You say, well, what if it's true? I mean, don't I have a right to say, I mean, if it's true, it's true. How do you know it's true? Clarify the situation. For example, uh, anybody know about Citizen? You're, you're kind of further out here a little bit. Citizens Bank. Anybody ever heard of Citizens Bank? I bank there downtown Oviedo. So suppose you're pulling out. You're close enough to the door to see what's going on. In fact, it's right in front of you. People are going across. And you're about to pull out straight, and you see your pastor coming out of the bank. And he's holding two bags. It was like bags full of money. Can I say this? 
You're going to tie that, right? <laughs> uh, so he's tearing up two bags full of look, what looks like money, and he's taking off running as fast as he can to the car. He throws him in the back seat, jumps in the, his vehicle, takes off, squealing tires the whole way. You say, man, what was that about? Well, you hear later in the day that a bank was robbed in Oviedo. And the guy that tells you says, I know exactly who it was. It was my pastor. My pastor's robbed a bank. No. Yeah. Brother Doug wrote. So that person tells another one, and that person tells another one. It gets back to the police. They come to Doug's house. They arrest him for, for robbing a bank. And he's in, he's in the, he, he's ruined his, his testimony's gone. No matter whether, whether it's proved or not, his testimony is completely gone. It's hit the newspapers. But supposedly, suppose this person, oh, somebody robbed a bank in Oviedo. No. Think, woo, it couldn't have been Brother Doug. But let me go ask him. Just him and him alone. Well, Doug tells you, well, I tell you what happened there. Those two bags were just filled with those empty little coin things that you roll up coins with. I throw all my, my change in a drawer and it piles up. And uh, one of my sons wanted to kind of roll it up and, and, and buy something with it. So I said, yeah, go ahead. I'll pick up the stuff for him. I'm going by the bank anyway. I'll just pick it up. And so I was, well, why were you running? Well, right before I... I left the bank, I got a phone call that somebody had had a heart attack in our church and was going to the hospital in the emergency room. So I knew I had to hurry. Oh, wow, is that all it was? All of a sudden, no police, no arrest. You clarified the situation. You don't know what's happened until you ask. But what if somebody has done something and you know they've done it? You say, well, then it's okay to tell everybody. No, it's not. The Christian army is the only army I know that shoots its own wounded. That's probably not true. There's probably other armies as well. But we are one that often does that. And we think we're justified in it. And we're just trying to make ourselves feel a little bit better. And so clarify the situation. Then it says to call. What, what if he doesn't listen? The word listen has to do with repentance here. They're listening to you. And they have done something wrong. And they think, wow, this is, this is a defining moment in my life. I'm seeing this. Because often it's a blind spot. I'm, just, I'm seeing this in my life. And so, yes, I, I want to ask your forgiveness. And I, because most of the time, they don't even realize they've done it to you. They don't know if they've offended you. Yeah, but what if they don't listen? What if they don't repent of their sin? Well, then you, you take along someone else. It says, but, you, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. Now, this is one or two, one or two, not five or six, one or two spiritual brothers, because you don't want them to be tempted to gossip or say anything else. And they need to judge the situation. It says that every charge may be, may be given evidence, and so they're there as judges to listen to the conversation. Then if he refused to listen to them, not you again, them. So they're not, they're not innocent, they're just not bystanders. They're getting involved in the conversation, and it may come back on you. You say, yeah, I understand. This guy did this to you. We understand that, but look what you did to him first. Have you thought about that? So it could come back on you. But they're to judge the situation. But if the person does not listen even then, that's pretty strong. You say, but yeah, how do you know what to take before one or two other witnesses? Well, here's the thing. Most of the things that are done against you, love covers a multitude of sins. All right? Once you go to them, they don't listen, they don't repent, you pray for them and move on. I mean, move on. You know, nobody empathize with them. Nobody's perfect. I'm praying for them. 
But you know, there's some things you just can't move on from. So what are the three things? Real quick, you can write these down if you'd like. Causing a rift in a relationship. It's so, it's so bad that it's going to cause a permanent rift, and that relationship is in the church. It's important. Now, when a relationship's outside the church, it's outside of work, somebody you're not going to come in contact with, you be the judge on that, but it's in the church. Secondly, the hurting, you're hurt, they're hurting the person. Uh, the person themselves are being hurt. They're hurting their own testimony. They're hurting their own walk. If they don't get out of whatever they're doing, the drugs, the drinking, the, the, the immoral relationship, whatever it may be, they're hurting themselves. It's something important to their walk and then hurting the church's testimony. If those three things are happening, it's time for us to move in and bring those other two people along. But then, if they won't listen, it says this. If they refuse to listen, even, he says, if they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, that does not mean necessarily 2,000 people at Cross Life. You, you never want to confront beyond the offense. A person does not need to repent beyond the offense. If a person has offended you, they do not get up in the church and apologize. It's only when they hurt the whole church that they do that. The confrontation always stays within the boundaries of the offense. Now, I need to bring this out, that there was no church in Matthew 18. There's no such thing as a church. The church was not formed until Acts chapter 2. This word in the Greek means a, a gathering of separated people. And so Jesus was applying it to the church. How, why, why could he do that? Because he knew that it was coming. He had the foresight to know and the foreknowledge to know that the church was coming. But also they had a called out one themselves. They had a, 12 apostles. They had about 150 or so people following them around. They had a body. They had a community, of a church around them. He says, you come and tell it to the church. And he says this. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector if they don't repent then. Because what are they saying? They're saying, look, you're coming to me with an offense and I'm not going to repent. I'm just not going to do it. I, think I'm, I know I'm doing wrong, but I'm not going to change. Or they say, I don't think I'm doing wrong. Well, you bring in two others and the two others are saying, yeah, you really are doing wrong. Still doesn't repent. Brings it before a body, we'll say, of, of deacons or your, your small group class or even your whole body. If he's offended every single one of you here, if it affects you, then you say, I'm still not going to repent. What is he saying? As Tim Keller would put it, he's denying the gospel that he professes. Let me share a verse, a couple of verses with you. In Galatians, it says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you in the past, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is he saying here? Well, you know, if you do these things, you're, you're, you've lost your salvation. No, he's not saying that at all. He says you're, you're denying the gospel. You say that you're saved, but your life is not changed. And he says, look, if you can go through all this and still not repent, it shows that you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. At least you're testifying to that. And so you need to be saved. It's just evidence that you've never made that decision for Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, treat them like a lost person. How, does, how did Jesus treat a lost person? He loved them. 
But he recognized the fact that now you've changed something. He's no longer a brother that you're trying to coax back in. And even sometimes putting even kind of a guilt trip on them. So anything you can do is, or say sometimes to kind of bring them back in as long as it's true. But now you treat them gently even more so as a person who does not have the Holy Spirit, who does not, has never received Christ into their life. And so what is the purpose of all this? The purpose, the why, to reconcile. He says, he says, you have gained your brother if they've listened to you. It implies repentance all throughout the passage. If they refuse to listen, they refuse to repent. This is what you do because you're trying to restore that brother, trying to really show him his blind spot in his life and reach a defining moment in his life. I was reading a book years ago by Gary Smalley, and uh, he tells a story um, of counseling, a counseling experience that he had. And he had this family coming to him, and uh, they, were, they were talking about their dad and how their dad was kind of messing up the family in one way or another, and, and he just wasn't getting it at all. Not at all. He wasn't seeing it. Big blind spot in his life. Finally, his daughter said, Dad, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like mom's driving a car down the road, and we are in the car with her. And she's driving down the road. There's a car suddenly coming right toward us. And she veers to the right, and the car veers that way. She veers to the left, the car veers that way. And suddenly, we're coming close to one another, and we're going to crash. And I look up. and look through the windshield, and I see who it is. It's you, Dad, driving the other car right toward us. That was a defining moment in his life. Someone confronting him. And there was a change, Gary Smalley says, tremendous change in his life because he saw what he was doing to his own family. When we see what we're doing to our life, we see what we're doing to others, it's a defining moment in our life. And the church is called to hold people, hold ourselves accountable to action, which brings me to my last point. And that is not only the purpose of it, to restore, but the profit of it. First of all, it establishes a standard of holiness. Why are they going to the brother? Why in Galatians 6 does it says those who trespass? You know, the world looks at us and laughs at us when we have a standard that we live by the word of God and don't live by it. That standard of holiness that I think that the church, because of the legalism in the past and because of things that were added onto the Bible, we, we just think they don't apply anymore. We think, oh, I just live under grace. But let me share with you that grace never changes the way God feels about sin. It just changes the way he deals with it. Grace does not change the way God sees sin or how he feels about it. It just changes the way he deals with it. We look in the Bible at that story of Jericho, where the Israelites go into Jericho and they, and they conquer the city of Jericho going into the promised land. And then God says, don't take any of the spoils at all. Don't take anything from them. None of the material, none of the junk, none of the treasure, nothing. A guy by the name of Achan took it anyway, buried it in the tent. And the next battle they, the nation of Israel went to, this little place called Ai, they were defeated. And, and Joshua come, came to the Lord and prayed and said, God, what in the world? What, what happened? What happened? He said, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. And they had to dig out that sin before God's blessings would be upon them again. You see, our, our activities, our lifestyle, really does affect those around us in the church and God's blessings in our life. 
We need people around us. We need the Word of God to change us. We need prayer to change us. But we also need people around us in a community to show us the blind spots in our life. And we need close relationships with that for that. And that brings me to the second thing of profit. And that is, you gauge your fellowship and involvement. Let me ask you, you know, you may be saying to me, you say, wait a minute, Pastor Mercer, I really don't have, uh, the, maybe I, I know of somebody I need to go to, but I don't have a relationship that way with them. I, I just think they'd look at me and say, who are you? You know? Okay, let me ask you, who do you have a relationship like that with? You think, hmm, well, maybe nobody. Well, there's a, there's a challenge there for you. To get into relationships like that intentionally. And you do that by going to small groups, by being consistent at church, by being outgoing, about going enough to say hello to someone, allow them to talk to you, and build relationships with them because they need you. They need someone like you in their life, and you need someone like them. And finally, the prophet is to restore that one lost sheep. I, I watch these, uh, occasionally I've watched. Um, one of those um, television shows about intervention. Anybody ever seen that before? Intervention? You know, somebody's on drugs or whatever, and you intervene in the, in the living room there, and they, and they get that person going to a rehab place. Well, listen, if you have a brother or sister, say a brother, that is in that c- condition, and they repent of that, and they get help for that, and they conquer that, you've gained a brother. That's what it's talking here. You've gained back your brother. You were estranged from your brother. Things weren't going well between you. I mean, there was a wedge all the time between you and that person. But now you've, you've talked it out. He knows he can trust you. She knows she can trust you because you've told no one else. Now you've gained a brother. You've gained one. So let me challenge you in three ways this morning as I close. Number one, I want to challenge you to fellowship. I want to challenge you to get into relationships where a person can come to you with the tougher stuff, with the blind spots. You get into relationships where you can help others as well. You won't be able to help everybody, but help someone. Number two, I want you to commit today to be a faithful messenger and loyal member of Christ's body. Let me share you what I mean. I was at a football game back in high school. And it wasn't my high school. It was a friend, a friend. A couple of friends of mine played football for another local high school, Oconee County High School. So we, a bunch of us just went to their game. And my friend, who was the backup quarterback, one of my friends, didn't get a chance to play because the other backup quarterback played. So you know what happened, right? The guy next to me, I didn't know who this guy was, but he criticized him the whole time. What a lousy quarterback he was. Lousy. I mean, he's just one thing after another. And I was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I wanted my buddy to play, too. And so the game's almost over. We're walking over and, and uh, to the sideline there. It's a kind of a smaller school, so everybody just sort of met the team as they came off. And um, he's talking to a girl. And uh, I didn't pay much attention to what they were saying. And uh, I'm watching the game. At the end of the game, this guy completes a pass. And so I nudged this guy and said, he finally completed a pass. This girl turns around looks at me, and she says, that's my brother. I was in trouble. There was nothing I could say. Now, I know we can't go to people. When people come to us and say, let me tell you about so-and-so, you can't yell at them and say, that's my sister. I know you can't do that. But the attitude is, "Mm, you're talking about my brother. 
You're talking about my sister. So I'm going to ask you to make this commitment, if you will. I will not talk about you, talking about the church as a whole here, not just about me, but it would include me. I will never, I will not talk about you by the grace of God. I will not talk about you until I first talk to you and then only about you because I love you. Would you make that commitment? Would you say that with me? Could you say that? Think about that for just a moment. By the grace of God. Now other people are going to come to you and say, hey, you made that commitment. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Would you say this with me? I will never talk about you unless I first talk to you and then only about you because I love you. Not very convincing. Have you thought about it again? <laughs> Let's say it with enthusiasm. I will not talk about you unless I first talk to you and then only about you because I love you. Much better. Much better. And a much better church. I know because of it. The last thing I want to challenge you to do is to receive Christ. Because don't you want to be a part of the family that would make a commitment like that? Don't you want to be a part of a family like God's family? If Christ died for you, and so he could heal your brokenness. Maybe you've come here today, and you're broken, and you know you are, and you need to be fixed. And the only way you can be fixed is through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. And I would invite you to invite him into your heart. And you can do that. I pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. So before I turn it back over to Doug and go back to the other campus, let me pray with you now. Would you, God, let me just pray for the church. God, thank you so much for this gathering of people today. Thank you, Lord, so much for this campus. Thank you for the people that are so diligent and, and, and so committed here. And so, Lord, I pray that these others would join the body of Christ. Not so much this church, but the body, of, the real body of Christ that they would become a believer in you by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Would you pray with me silently, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you just to stay in a, a moment of prayer, just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And if you prayed that, if today you gave your life to Christ, we're going to ask you to acknowledge that. We want to celebrate with you. One way is by the car, worship folder card, the card in your worship folder. You take a moment, fill that out. A little bit later, the offering plate's going to pass, and we'd love to know that and celebrate with you. It's the biggest decision you ever make. It's the only one you ever make that will change your eternity. We'd like to celebrate that. Or I'll be down at the front, would love to talk to you about that decision. So please make that public today. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, this, this sermon, this message of Jesus, is pretty deep. And I can just tell you out of many, many years of being in ministry and church life, for many people, what hinders our growth spiritually is how we do choose not to deal with relationships, broken relationships, biblically. And so maybe you're here today and you know someone's hurt you. And you've looked at the words of Jesus and you now know that you have been called to the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's a child. Maybe that's somebody in this room today. And you thought by just letting it go and ignoring it, eventually it would just go away. And what you found out is the wound has just grown deeper. And you need to go to them. And maybe you need to come at this altar and say, God, give me the strength because on my own I can't do that but I know that Jesus, you told me to do it. 
And if I'm really going to follow you, this has to be part of my life. And so if you're a believer today and someone's heard you, would you have the courage to say, yes, Lord? I'll go to them and I'll go with grace. I'll go with compassion. I'll go with kindness because I know just as I go to someone who's hurt me, I too have hurt others. And I want to show them the love of Christ. And some of us need to make that decision today. So, in fact, when he talked about someone hurting you, you already have a name, don't you? You already know the person you want to go to. Would you make a commitment to do that? Or if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've hurt people. And I've had people come to me. And I didn't listen. I just want to call you today to repentance. I want to call you today to return from selfishness, turn from arrogance and pride, and repent and begin to listen to what they're saying to you so that you may be restored to them. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand. And if you need to come pray at this altar, please do so. If you need to make your decision for Christ public, please do so. But if you need to go today, if you need to go and talk to someone, please don't wait till Monday. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes, does it? Skip lunch. Go make it right. Or if you've hurt someone and you know it, would you go to them, confess it, repent of it, and beg for their forgiveness? See, today, today was a precursor for what's coming next week. We'll never be able to forgive if we don't first go to restore and reconcile. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for these people in this room today. Everyone in this room has been hurt by somebody. And unfortunately, many of us could say those people we've gone to church with before. Those people we say we love them. Those people might be in our small groups. But God, as we look at your passage today, and as, as G, the words of Jesus are so powerful, we know that we are under the mandate to go to them because there's a lot at stake if we don't. There's dissension. There's division. There's bitterness. There's anger that is waiting if we do nothing. So, Lord, I pray for, for those here today, those who are believers, maybe they just need to come to this altar and get on their knees before you, a holy God, and say, Lord, give me strength to go. Or maybe they're here today and they know they've hurt someone and they said some things they shouldn't have said and they need to go ask for forgiveness. Maybe they need to come to this altar and just say, Lord, I repent. And Lord, for those who've never trusted you that moment ago prayed that prayer, would they make it public today? As we consider your love for us, may we be faithful to respond. For it's in your precious and your powerful son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you need to come and pray, this altar's open. Nobody's going to bother you. This is a safe place for you to get with your Heavenly Father. Go, Lord, either I need courage to go forgive or I need to go seek that forgiveness because I've hurt them. But if you need to do business with God, please don't leave today without making things right with Him. And as the Lord leaves you, would you respond?